0: Well, if you don't know me from the, the cat or the dog or whatever, um, I'd just like you to know that I was here a long time ago, like 100 years ago, probably. And uh, I have a longevity here. But I was a priest, the last priest on the staff when Dan Matthews senior was here. God, that was a long time ago. And so I was appointed to do the work that women do which is taking care of the children and being with youth, right? Elizabeth doesn't agree with me. (laughs) So I had the great pleasure of knowing so many of you. and Still loving you and still seeing you over these years has been a blessing to me. I wanted to say first too that um, when I was in Fayetteville where I left I left here to go to Fayetteville to start a new church. Now I don't recommend that. It's it's kind of a hard job, (laughs) and especially when you don't know anybody in Fayetteville. And and the representative was Newt Gingrich. Um, So we um, Lou and I moved there, and um, we worked there. And one Sunday morning, we were worshiping in a sign shop. And one Sunday morning. The, the gospel was about a famine in the land, which we heard in the Old Testament reading this morning. So when I was reading it, I said, and then there was a great salmon in the land. <laughs> and first of all, people were so shocked, I said, and then they just fell out. We had to stop the service because it was, it was funny at the time, I guess. So this morning we have one of the great pieces of scripture that includes women and who includes them with honor and dignity, and um, with a lot of love because we know now from scripture that Jesus probably spent much, many more times with these women and their brother Lazarus than we probably knew or was recorded. So he was he was sort of like his second home. Do you all have a second home? away from your home, someplace you go, and you feel comfortable, and you know that you're going to always have um, a box of uh, nuts or something. There'll always be some sort of food. It might not be hand-prepared, but it's there. And so um, this is what Mary and Martha were used to, and I'm sure Lazarus. So the house belonged to Martha, is what scripture tells us, and she welcomed them into her home. Now, we don't know how many people were there. It could be anywhere from who knows maybe Jesus and five or ten other people or could have been as many as 20 who knows we don't we're not told that part but Martha of course felt responsible because it was her home and they were coming into her home so you know what they had to do they had to find food right and they had to feed them and so this was her the thing she took on herself which most women do even to this day unfortunately more men are getting better at it and so she she brought these um uh, the, 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 the people in and they all sat down and t- she, she looked around for Mary and Mary wasn't there and she finally discovered that she was in there listening to Jesus for heaven's sex. So she was a little un- unsettled by that should we say and she um, spoke to Jesus about that. So now I want to tell you a little bit about who I am And that begins with, I moved to Atlanta in 1984, me and my daughter, who was 10 years old at the time, Laura, who is here today. My work was to be the director of youth ministries and the Sunday School. It was a woman's job, but I was so grateful to have a job. I didn't care what I was doing. I would have done the laundry. I would have done anything if they asked me. But I learned to kind of manipulate the men pretty well, I think. You can ask them when you see them. So one of the best parts about that was when he was a small boy, actually a young teenager, Kane Jackson, I knew him as Jackson Kane, was one of my youth group, in our youth group, which, which Stuart um, Gerardo was one of the counselors for. So we were a tight group, and we, um, we had a great time. We went to the beach every summer, which was my idea of hell, but I survived it. And, um, so, uh, and we, the kids had to sign these covenants that they wouldn't you know, run over anybody with their, their bike or they wouldn't kick somebody. Or, and the one, the one breakable law was no uh, alcohol, no sex and no um, things that blow off like firecrackers. So we did pretty good on the first two, I think, but how would I know? And he, and the second last one, we, we didn't really have any problem with. So I have loved this young man, Mr. Jackson, for a long time. And then the other person I knew, who I know you have heard about, but probably maybe didn't know, was Olive Toy. Do any of you know Olive Toy? Olive Toy was a piece of work, wasn't she? I mean, she would hold court. She was, I thought she was old. You know, she's probably my age now, but I thought she was ancient. And she would hold court in the library for the pastoral care committee. And when she did, she had a big list of all the people on the name. we go all through the list, and then um, we talk about everybody. So it took a good hour to, to share all this. And I just joined them because I wanted to know what was going on and what the other women knew. It was great, and it became, became me and those women, and then I would tell the men what the women knew, and that gave me a lot more status. <clears throat> so, um, But I loved Olive. She would get in the room, and she had complete control of what everybody, Betty did there, or at least she thought she did. And she was praying and for herself and for others, and she taught me in this process how to pray, how to be pastoral, how to be loving in a community, which I really didn't understand yet. I was still getting there. But I loved her because she was funny, she liked people, she enjoyed having a good time, and she didn't think that church was born. Olive held forth like a queen in her court. And if she wanted something done, she knew she had a direct line to me at church, and that she could tell me what she didn't like, directly. So she was a good woman, and I commend her life to you. So the gospel reading, back to Mary and Martha. Definitely, I think Olive Toy was a Martha. But she also knew how to pray. So she had what we're all seeking, men and women, a balance between prayer and time alone and introspection and her public life, the one where she served other people and the people in her family which was very close, who were very close to her. So when Jesus came to this home in Bethany, he was looking for this support, this love, this kind of place where he could be at home even if he wasn't at home. <clears throat> you remember in the Gospel of John, usually read around Easter, that Lazarus died. But before he died, he sent, they sent, the women sent, Martha and Mary sent them a letter saying, or however they communicated then, saying that he was dying. And they expected Jesus to come right away. And he didn't come right away. He, he didn't come for the first day, the second day. And Lazarus died. And they couldn't, still couldn't believe that Jesus wasn't there. They just couldn't believe what was happening to them. And so um, finally, when he arrived, they say in the John's Gospel that he had been three days dead and he was buried already for heaven's sakes. And so they were just uh, so upset when they went out to greet Jesus, Martha and Mary, and they told him how upset they were. And yet they also told him how they still believed in him despite the fact that Lazarus was dead. So maybe in your own life and family, you know that other space where you feel at home. Possibly it might even be here, hopefully. People who love you despite your faults. And I don't know, I mean, I am the first in line with the faults. The scripture reading says little about how many people were with Jesus. So Martha had every good reason to worry about feeding all these people. And I would imagine she probably did it well, and she was very experienced. When Jesus began to teach, Mary was no longer with her. Now, this has confronted most of us, men and women, when we have torn between a functional job and a sort of sitting job or thinking job. And it certainly has been part of my ministry my whole life was, you know, I feel more comfortable at the hospital room if I went and fixed the flowers than the idea of sitting there with somebody who was sick was hard for me. I had to learn how to do that. And over time, of course, I did, but I had a lot of help on the way from a lot of people like Olive and Kane. So this 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 tension was released when Mary, uh, Martha finally complained to Jesus and said, "You know, you got to get her up from there because she needs to come in the kitchen where the important work is getting done." Do you all ever feel that way? Just me, I guess. So I'm much better, and the only way I could ever survive the last 50 years has been develop a great relationship with Jesus with prayer. So this is. But this is what I call spiritual schizophrenia. I just made that up. What do you think? <laughs> and, you know, it meant that if somebody needed something, I had to make myself stay there rather than functioning. And that's discipline. You have to discipline yourself to where your weaknesses and strengths are. So, I have found this to be true in my marriage. I met Lou Squires here. We got married. We've been married 35 years. That's pretty good, huh? But when I'm telling him a problem, and he's listening, and I think we're having a great conversation, all of a sudden, he says, I tell him the problem. The first thing he wants to do is get up from the conversation and go fix it. And I say, Lou, you're supposed to stay here while we talk, right? Some kind of action. That involves getting up for the conversation and leaving the room. One of our great struggles has been around dinner. Who cooks dinner? Do you all have that issue in your life? Oh, we have had it off and on for years. And I was complicit in a way, in very much of a way, because I would just set him up to fall. You know, I would say, uh, Well, what are we having for dinner? And he said, I don't know. And I said, Why don't you know? And then we'd go on from there. It was not, not a fun, uh, fun exercise. But I think we've finally resolved most of that now. When I got ready to retire, the only thing I could think about was having the chance to read. To go to Barnes & Noble like any other person and sit there and eat big old buns and to drink coffee and read books. To me, that was like heaven, heaven incarnate. And so when I did retire, I found myself doing that, but then I would find myself wanting something to do, like do, like move, like function. So I went on and served several other churches in the diocese as an interim, and I learned a lot there too, for sure. A friend of mine who served as a lawyer for 30 years, she's retired, she told me that her daughter, the youngest of her three children, her mother, called her mother after her second child. And she said to her mother, you know, by the time I come home from work, I've, I've not made enough money to really cover the babysitting and all the other things I need to work. And so she said to her mother, who was a lawyer at that time practicing, she said, is it okay if I quit my job? And her mother said, of course. And she said, you won't be disappointed in me? And she said, no, I won't be disappointed in you. So I think it's that kind of way we have to allow ourselves to be open for every generation, to pick their way of finding their own balance. So what is needful? What is needful in your life? Too many times we're so worried about perfectionism, about making things right or just right. I know I've been victim of that myself many times. And those of us who are people of privilege who have both money and security may be unaware of the others who suffer from the fear of not having enough, enough food, shelter, and health care. So for them, the anxiety is far more real for those of us who have those things and still think that we have to make everything seem to be perfect. When every one of us, one of the things I have learned the most about parish ministry is everybody in every pew comes into this place and has a problem or an issue they're dealing with. And they, they're coming with an open heart, an open mind, and hoping that some way in the service of the Eucharist or maybe even the sermon, that they may feel that God has touched them in some way so that they're open more, so that they can receive and feel the presence of God. So is, are you needful for that? Do you have a need for that in your life? What is needful for you in your life? What is needful? Now, that isn't a word that you hear very often, is it? Do people say to you at the office, so what's needful today? Usually not. It's not a word we use anymore, but it's a really good word because it means that not what you want, but what you need. So I have many long lists of the things I want. I have less long lists about the things I need, but I'm always working on trying to find that balance. Balance is what God has called us to. Not to disengage from the world, but to engage the world through the prism of joy and prayer and love that comes from each other and from Jesus, through most people. So I would look at your spiritual life. I hope you're not schizophrenic. And I would hope that you would take the time to have a discipline that allows you to be with God and to feel God's presence sometime during the day. Everybody does their own thing. I used to believe that, especially when I was a lot younger, that you could only be a faithful Christian if you did said the morning and evening prayers and you said the prayers and you got your prayer book out and that made you holy. Well, I long since have given that up. And I believe that however you find God, you need to be needful of that. And it needs to be drawing you in. And as you get older, like I am, you'll, need, you'll know that that is a, such a graceful time, a wonderful time. Because the more you practice it, the better it is. And so you begin to understand how God influences your life and helps you make choices and you feel you're supported in, that you will know what the right thing is to do or the good thing is to do for yourself and for others. So these are our choices, just like Mary and Martha had choices. And I don't think that Jesus um, didn't care about Martha. Actually, he loved her very much. But he also knew that she didn't allow herself to feel this presence of God because she was too worried about everything else. And that isn't just about women, and, and it is about all of us, women and men, and what it is that distracts us from our journey to our spiritual Life where we go and feel Jesus' presence. So I would encourage you to look at your life and see some way perhaps you could find another way to practice finding God once a day. And consider Jesus' advice to Martha and know that it's not judgmental, it's not anything other than encouragement. And Jesus says to Martha, I love this, the Martha, Martha part where he, he says, Martha, Martha, not just Martha which is, of course where I hear it. it was very judgmental. And but he says Martha, Martha, there's only one thing needful. And that's hard to believe, but the more act, act more you act on it, the better it is and the truth will come to you. Amen. I'll need an elevator.